my privilege to read the first reading today from the Bible, and it's John chapter 20, verses 1 to 18. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand that from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realise that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking it was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I've seen the Lord, and she told them, that he has said these things to her. Morning, friends. We're going to take up the Bible's narrative of the fir- that first Easter, just a few verses after we left off with the last one. It's John chapter 20, verses 24 to 31. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting 
and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Amen. Friends, it was Friday. <clears throat> he was hanging on the cross, feeling forsaken by his father. He was left alone and he was dying. It was Friday, the earth trembled, the sky grew dark. Jesus yielded his spirit. It was Friday. Jesus was buried. A soldier stood guard and a rock was rolled into place. It was Friday. So hope seemed lost. Death seemed to have won. Sin seemed to have conquered. And Satan seemed to be victorious. But it was Friday. It was only Friday. You need not say goodbye to Jesus because Sunday was always coming. See, friends, the vindication of his identity, his loving sacrifice, and his victory over sin, death, and Satan was always coming in the resurrection. And the resurrection was God's way of stamping, paid in full, right across history so that no one could miss it. And he comes to us today to offer us grace. Here we are gathered in April 2021. And he comes to us, whether you're in this auditorium, in the hall, on live stream, wherever you're watching, he comes to offer us forgiveness. He comes to offer us new life. He comes to offer us undeserved mercy. He comes to offer us a new start in life, even eternal life. Now, I'm going to take you to three characters this morning. The first one is Peter, and Peter denied Jesus but found grace. Peter denied Jesus but found grace. Go and tell his disciples and Peter, the women said. He's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Go tell the disciples and Peter. Why did you say my name? Asked Peter in the drama we've just seen. Well, friends, in John 13, 36 to 38, we have Peter very confident in himself. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Listen carefully. He says, I will lay down my life for you, Jesus. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Here is a man confident in himself. He could handle opposition. He could handle suffering. He could handle even death for his Savior. When the test comes, he denies once. I don't know him. Twice, I don't know him. I'm not with him. A third time, no, I do not know that man. And the rooster crows. Can we imagine the guilt, the shame, the embarrassment of that moment? The inner turmoil in this man? What he will know is his sin within him. And imagine meeting the resurrected Christ. There's a little bit of literary license in the video you've just watched. 
But I'm sure when he meets Jesus, he remembers his shame. He remembers his guilt. He remembers the denials of Jesus. But Jesus comes to him. I like this. Jesus comes to him with grace. Jesus takes what is unforgivable and makes it forgivable through his death on the cross. Friends, that's the point of Easter. And he gently restores Peter. And he asks him three times if he loves him. He denied him three times and he asked three times. In a sense, he's turning around, Peter, I know you did that, but I'm going to let you get right with me. I'm here for you, Peter. No matter what you've done, I'm here for you. I've come to you. You didn't have to come and chase me and find me. I'm here, Peter. And I don't know, sometimes we we run from God and we think we so messed up our lives that uh, God won't come to us. Our sin is too big and too great. It's hurt too many people. God comes to us in his grace. You feel guilty before God this morning, ashamed, maybe of sins that no one else knows about. Jealousy, gossip, adultery, immorality, deception, domestic violence. Peter is hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? Jesus sometimes drives the point home, doesn't he? Sometimes uh, God takes hold of you and you can be living in sin and disobedience to God and all of a sudden, it's almost as if God is right there and you go, I see it clearly for the first time, my mistakes, my need of forgiveness, my need of God's love. All of a sudden, you hide it most of the time and all of a sudden, God breaks through and you go, wow, I'm a sinner, I need salvation, I need Jesus. And it's happening to people all around the world today. But often when our sin is exposed, we often feel hurt. Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Come on, Jesus, take it easy. You know I really love you. He says, feed my sheep. And Jesus establishes Peter into leadership, into responsibility in his church. But he also prepares Peter for martyrdom. I don't know if you're aware of this. He sets him apart as a leader, but he prepares him for his own death. And our tradition tells us that he was crucified upside down. But Jesus says in John 21, very, rarely, very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. And when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you to where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death for which Peter would glorify God. Then he said, follow me. Yes, Peter, you will die for me in my timing. Are you messed up this morning? Are you ashamed? Are you hiding from God? Well, don't. God already knows what you've done. He wants to show you grace. He went to Peter. He comes to you. See, Gordon MacDonald uh, is a Christian leader and author. Uh, he wrote a book called The Resilient Life, amongst other books. And one of the things he admits in that book he, was his sin of adultery. I was quite surprised. I, I wasn't aware of that. And it happened many, many years ago. He said, I developed a friendship with a woman. I wasn't normally... Uh, committing adultery. I wasn't sort of chasing women or anything like that. It was just a relationship, a friendship that developed. And before we knew it, we'd committed adultery. So unlike me, he says, I was the vanilla man. I'm not into anything strange, unusual. All of a sudden, I stuffed up really badly. He says, I broke my wife's heart and I broke God's heart. But he repented and experienced the forgiveness of both his wife and his God. And through counseling and God's grace, his marriage was restored And he continues to point others to the grace of God. I don't know who you are, what you've done. God comes to you through the Easter events to say, I love you. There is a second chance. There's a new life available. 
But secondly, not only is there Peter, Peter denied Jesus and found grace. Now Thomas doubted Jesus but found grace. You see, when they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and all the others. And uh, it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, though, got up and ran to the tomb. So there's an appearance to the women. They come and tell the disciples, he's alive. And they go, what What are you talking about? What do you mean he's alive? How can he be alive? He's dead. You know, he was crucified. They placed him in a tomb. Are you sure? What are you talking In what sense is he alive? And we need to realize that this resurrection at that, that moment was so outside of their understanding, their experience. You see, the Jews expected a resurrection on the final day, not in the middle of history. The Greeks didn't believe uh, in that type of resurrection. They believed in the soul's immortality. So for the Jews and the Greeks of the day, the thought that someone would be raised from the dead right there, 2,000 years ago, is completely outside of their understanding, their experience. They were expecting a military battle between Jesus the Messiah, the King, with the Romans, and to have freedom from the Romans. They got none of that. They got a crucified Savior. So no wonder they didn't understand it. And it's interesting, uh, when Jesus appears to the disciples uh, to show himself, Thomas wasn't there. And so in verse 24 in John 20, now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side where the sword went, I will not believe it. Here's Thomas, one of the twelve. This is the man who has known Jesus intimately for three years. He shared meal after meal with him. He's listened to his teaching. He's watched him perform miracles. He's watched him raise the dead. He's watched him feed thousands with a little bit of food. Turns water into wine. Heals the blind person. Heals the leper. Thomas has been with Jesus the whole time. Surely, Thomas, your friends have told you Jesus is alive. No, I'm not sure. Unless I see him. Unless I touch him. Doubting Thomas. I can understand that. I like evidence. What about you? No, give me the evidence. I want to see. If I don't see him, I don't believe in it. You know what Jesus does? Does he turn up and rebuke Thomas? No, Jesus turns up just as he went to Peter. Now he comes to Thomas and shows grace. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. Don't you like that? He appears. Thomas is wanting Jesus to turn up. Jesus turns up. Put your fingers here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said, my Lord, that means his leader, and my God. He realized that Jesus is God the Son at that moment. He's no ordinary prophet. He's no ordinary savior. He is the Lord and he is God at the same time. Friends, we don't get to see Jesus physically. People have said to me, if Jesus turns up again and I see him, I'll believe. Well, friends, he came once to bring salvation to all those who trust in him. He'll come a second time to complete the job. He's not coming back so you can see him again. Even in that period of time when people saw him, they still didn't believe, right? They saw the miracles, they didn't believe, they saw those things. There's a point where you need to put your faith and trust in this Jesus Jesus continued, and this is our situation. Because you have seen me, you have believed. 
Blessed are those who have not seen, yet have believed. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, by believing you may have life in his name. I like to have some evidence. And so I confess that in my mid-twenties, I started to doubt Christianity. I was doing a, a course at Sydney University, a divinity course. The lecturers were really not Christians. They didn't really believe the Bible's the word of God. And they threw in all the skeptical claims and so on. What kept me in the faith was the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Lee Strobel, many of you will know, was, a, was an atheist. His wife got converted, became a Christian, and he checked out Christianity to debunk Christianity and became a Christian. He's written books like The Case for, for Faith, The Case for Easter, and so on. We have a book available for you today. What were some of the key evidences? It's important for you to know it, because when people ask you a question, you need to know how to answer. Number one, the tomb where Jesus was laid was empty. It was empty, right? And now someone either has taken the body or Jesus has been raised from the dead. The body was never produced by the skeptics, the Jews or the Romans. Someone said, well, maybe they just took him, the Jews or the Romans, so the Christian wouldn't make up the story. They could have killed Christianity by producing the body right at the beginning. Christianity would be dead and buried before it even started, but they never had the body, they never produced the body. Others say, maybe the disciples stole the body and made up this myth. Well... The disciples who saw him were willing to be martyred for their faith. All of them were killed for the faith. Would you continue year after year after year to preach a lie and be killed for it if it wasn't true? Up to 500 eyewitnesses saw him, therefore too many to be rejected as a hallucination. The start of the church and the break from Judaism points to the resurrection. Do you know, they were Jewish. Jewish Jew, uh, Jesus grew up in the Jewish faith. And the disciples were all Jewish. To have a break from Judaism was a significant break. The only thing that could make that break possible was the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Who were the first witnesses to the resurrection? It was the women, which is fantastic. The women are everywhere. They're following Jesus. No wonder the churches are full of women. 60% of, church, or 6% of the people who attend church, by the way, right across our nation, are women. Just more spiritual than us. We're just stubborn, these blokes. Because the women are there. They're at his death. They're at the resurrection. They're sharing the message. But you see, in the first century, if you're making up a story about Jesus' resurrection, you don't have the women telling the story. You know why? Because in the first century, in the Jewish law of the day, the testimony of women wasn't accepted. So if you're making this story up, you've got some guys telling the story. The fact that women are telling the story confirms that it is a true story. The resurrection was the very center of the early apostolic preaching. You read the book of Acts when they started to preach, what was it? The resurrection, the resurrection, the resurrection. It's everywhere. And then the conversion and resulting transformation of, the, of uh, Saul, who became the apostle Paul. Transformed lives all over the place. People who are enemies of Christ now becoming followers of Christ by the grace of God because of the resurrection. Some of that evidence convinced me to stay in the faith. We have uh, some books available for you today, The Case for Easter. We've got a New Testament you might like to pick up afterwards or what is Easter all about. We'd love for you to have a read of that and check out the evidence for yourself. But I mentioned Saul of Tarsus or the Apostle Paul. He's the third person. Peter denies Jesus, finds grace. Thomas doubts Jesus and finds grace. Saul persecutes Jesus and still found grace. In Acts chapter 7, 
we hear about a fellow called Saul of Tarsus. He is a Jewish Pharisee. He was watching the stoning to death of Stephen and gave approval to his death. That's where you meet him first. In chapter 8, verse 3, Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off men and women and put them in prison. There's this guy who hates Christians. They're preaching a false message in his mind. In Acts chapter 9, he is so violently opposed to Christians, he's still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. This is God. He hates Christians. He persecutes Christians. He puts them in jail. He arrests them. He, he wants letters to go anywhere he can to grab them. Jesus came to Peter the denier. He came to Thomas the doubter. Now he comes to Saul the persecuted. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground, heard a voice say, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He says, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. The resurrected Jesus speaks to him. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. I love the fact that Jesus takes the most angry, violent opponent of Christianity. He says, let me tell you something. I'm Jesus the Messiah, I've been raised from the dead. I have a job for you. And he turns him from a persecutor of the church, to the greatest missionary of the church, who's written a big chunk of the New Testament that we read as the Word of God, right? And he arranges Saul to meet with a guy called Ananias. He says, the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul, because Saul had been uh, blinded at this stage. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, I love this, Brother Saul, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. After taking some food, he regained his strength. I love the grace of God to the deniers, to the doubters, even to the persecutors. God comes to us because of the cross. Friends, Peter, Thomas and Saul all found grace through meeting the resurrected Christ. And people are still finding grace in our generation. Day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, people are finding God's grace and finding new life. The, I love the story of a, uh, a former, really successful uh, lawyer. His name was Sir Lionel Lucku. And Ross Clifford tells his story in one of his books on the resurrection. And Sir Lionel Lucku had 245 sec consecutive successful murder acquittals. He was in a Guinness Book of Records as a really successful uh, lawyer. At the age of 64, this guy had been a uh, politician, a diplomat, uh, diplomat and so on, and high level in his country. He got to the age of 64. He realized he had not found fulfillment or satisfaction. And he gave his life to Christ. This is what he says. When I gave my life to Christ, the transformation was immediate. From that day, my life changed. I moved from death to life, from darkness to light. I was born again. My life took a 180-degree change. I found real peace and happiness and joy and righteousness and holiness. And as a lawyer, he writes this. I have spent more than 42 years as a defense trial lawyer, appearing in many parts of the world. I've been fortunate to secure a number of successes in jury trials and I say unequivocally, the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so overwhelming that it compels acceptance by proof 
which leaves absolutely no room for doubt. Friends, when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you are not throwing out your brain. You're engaging your brain. It says, of the eyewitnesses, do you think they were lying? If so, for what reward? For torture and for death? He spoke with them. He ate with them. Clearly, they were telling the truth about an unmistakable fact that was manifested to them as to make the whole Roman Empire unable to shake their testimony or stem the tide of their evangelism. Friends, the good news of Easter is this, that whether you're a believer, a denier, or a doubter, or even a persecutor, God offers you grace through the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you don't know him personally, why don't you seek him out? Why don't you read some of the New Testament? Why don't you come to our Christian Explained course that we're going to start at the end of April? Come along for six nights and we just talk about the Bible. Well, what are the key things? We'd love to have you engage with us. So whether you're watching the live stream, you'd like to join us, let us know. Um, whether you're in, the, in this service or in the hall, we'd love to have you join us in that course. Let me pray. Lord God, thank you for the resurrection of Jesus. And thank you that in him we find grace. Grace for the denier, grace for the doubter, grace even for the persecutor. God, you are filled with love and mercy and compassion. I pray for each person who is worshipping with us today, that they would know that grace and mercy. They would know forgiveness. They would know reconciliation with God. They would know the certainty of eternal life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.